the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. This fall is shaping up to be an incredible time to be a sports fan, and there's no better place to get breaking news, real time commentary, and powerful stories than The Athletic. There's incredible storytellers, relentless reporters, and insightful analysts with tons of analytical backgrounds. The Athletic delivers everything you need on every sports story that matters. Get the app, follow your favorite teams and leagues, and get a personalized feed, ad-free, of course, just for you. Visit theathletic.com slash track today to get 40% off your first year subscription. Theathletic.com slash track S-P-O-T-R-A-C. Good Wednesday afternoon-ish. My name is Mike Chinetti. Thanks for joining us for another edition of the Track Podcast. We're going to dive into The Athletic quite deep today, actually. A couple of really great guests. Less me, more other people, more very smarter, better people <laughs> than I. Jordan Rodriguez from The Athletic covers the Rams way out west. And boy, what an interesting team. We've been uh, up and down on this team, obviously, with the contracts. And there's a few more contracts now to discuss as well. So we're going to have Jordan on to talk about that. Les Steve, the, the GM, she's got a great piece on The Athletic right now, breaking down sort of Les's decision-making process, you know, where the team might be, where it might be going. She's really in tune to all of that, so that's going to be really great to get to talk to her a little bit. Then Ross Tucker, former offensive lineman, runs himself a gigantic podcast chain, really in every aspect of sports, from fantasy to betting to the NFL to the business side of it as well. Always good to have him on the show. He's going to break down a piece he did for The Athletic, where he basically ranks and details all of the offensive lines in the league. So we're going to start there with Ross uh, because it's really unique and interesting. And then we're going to break that into, you know, where football is right now and get his take on, you know, the quarterbacks and the running back situation and things like that as it might relate. But first, the Clippers are out. Sort of saw this one coming, unfortunately. I mean, Scott and I have had some, some discussions. And here's where I want to go with this just for a quick open. They're getting killed. Paul George is getting mercifully killed right now on every radio talk show, TV talk show. Uh, and I get it. You know, you, you, you self-classify yourself as playoff Pete. And yet again, here we are talking about the deficiency of Paul George in the playoffs. So, you know, I, I can understand that it's an easy target to take. Kawhi Leonard, a brutal fourth quarter. The Clippers as a whole, a brutal fourth quarter. I, I'm going to back off here. I'm going to have some brevity with this team because look at LeBron didn't win his first year in Miami. He certainly didn't win his first year in, in Los Angeles. Okay, these super teams that get thrown together, it's just not instantaneous. It's just not. It takes, it, it takes time. And we just had the weirdest, most awkward, more, most displaced sports season ever. And I realize that everybody has had that. You know, there hasn't been an advantage for anybody over the other. But look, continuity matters. We talked about this with the NFL and which teams we're picking in 2020 because of it. Uh, you know, the same kind of kind of holds true. There's certain teams right now that just, they know who they are. I, I would place the Celtics as one of them. Certainly, you could say the same about Denver, at least from a, a superstar standpoint. And, you know, the Lakers are now, well, I shouldn't say that. You know, the Lakers are kind of the anomaly here because obviously Anthony Davis came into the system and took the rest of the Lakers team away. And it just clicked. You know, those two superstars, and the, the complimentary pieces, the Alex Caruso's and the Kuzma, of course, it clicked. It clicked in December, though. And that's the difference between the Lakers and the Clippers. And, yes, the Clippers had more firepower and more depth and on paper looked better, and they were the betting favorites. But they never had that run where it felt like, all right, here they come. They look like they know exactly who they are, 
and they are ready to take this league over. They didn't. The Lakers did. The Lakers were having that run when the March 14th situation happened and everything shut down. They were in the middle of that holy cow, look out for the Los Angeles Lakers moment. And, you know, they didn't regain that initially when they got to the bubble. They're, they're certainly finding their stride right now in these, in these first two rounds of the playoffs. And they're clearly going to be the favorite no matter who comes out of the East at this point. So, you know, the tables have turned, but look at this has always been the Clippers situation in this season. Always. It's been uncomfortable. It's been sporadic, right? You've had superstar Kawhi sat this, this amount of time. Paul George sat this amount of time. Beverly missed a bunch of time. It just wasn't a, con- you know, there was no continuity to start the year and they never really found that stretch of continuity to kind of find their rhythm. So, this isn't a huge shock to me, and I'm not going to blame anyone individually. This was a huge shakeup of the offseason. They, you know, they blew that Clippers system up to get to this point, to get to this team, and the expectations were ridiculous. Now, yeah, they should have won. <laughs> they are talented enough to beat anybody at any point in time. But like I said, it didn't seem like it was a good fit right now. Let's give it a year. Everybody's coming back who matters. Everybody. Beverly's under contract. Landry Shamit's under contract. Lou Williams is, is going to be entering a contract here if he sticks around as a, as a depth piece. Certainly George and Leonard are, are in maybe their final years because there's player options in 2021 to follow for those contracts. Marcus Morris is a UFA uh, and Montrell's Harrell as well. So in terms of the complementary pieces, those are a couple of guys right there you might have to address. Zubach is coming back. All right. But, you know, five, you're, you're five legitimate starters there. Uh, Marcus Morris notwithstanding some days are back under contract, don't have to be touched. You know, if you want them back, they can come back. Now, I know the Paul George trade rumors are going to be <laughs> deafening. Uh, and I get it. And maybe that happens. Maybe there's there's no excuse for this team. And, and Steve Ballmer and that front office basically say, you know, I, I can't give them another year. We just invested so much in this team. We've given away so much draft capital to put this team together. And, oh, by the way, we've got a gigantic arena being built right now. <laughs> uh that's, you know, we've got to get on our winning run right now. This has to be, this was supposed to be year one of a three, four, five year dynasty where we can walk into our new arena, guns blazing, fans ready to roar, ready to, ready to drop down as much dollars for, uh, for season tickets as possible. I understand the business side of it for sure. I also think, let's not give up on this. It, it is completely unfair, even though it's also completely fair to assume this team can win in one year. It's very rare that it happens. Let's put it all together. You know, you know, you build a fantasy team. It's very rare that every single player in that team contributes every single week. It just doesn't happen. There, there's ebbs and flows. So I'm not going to kill anybody individually. I'm not going to kill this franchise because I want to see it one more year. I want to see Paul George and Kawhi Leonard together. I don't imagine Kawhi Leonard's the easiest cat to play with on a long season. So, you know, we extend this out to look at, we're in the middle of September now. Uh, you know, he's his own being. I think he's a great guy, and I think he's a hell of an athlete, maybe one of the best athletes in the entire world. I just want to see it one more time. Well, let's run this thing back in 2021 and, and see where this thing can get us because they're going to be right there. Again, on paper, they look outstanding. You know, you want to you start talking Paul George to Philadelphia for one of those superstars? I, I guess. I don't care. I mean, let's, let's have the rumors happen. I mean, it's fun to talk offseason. So go do it, but I'd like to see this team back. I love that both LA teams have competitive rosters, that they both got to this point. Would have been fun as hell to have them in the Western Conference Finals. There's no reason this can't happen next year again. Let's just pause, take a deep breath. Let's see where this goes. Contractually speaking, they're good to go. 
Maybe they got to replace Marcus Morris. They can do that via a quick trade. They can re-sign Morris to a small extension. Whatever they think, feel like they need to do. But it's minimal work that has to be done to get this team back on the court in 2021 and finding that chemistry, finding that rhythm, starting to become more comfortable in, in what they are and who they are. And I just, I'm just not worried. It was a loss. It was a, it was a bad loss. Bad, really two-game stretch, game six, game seven. It was brutal. Denver, Denver's been sitting here waiting for this moment. They, this is the thir- third year you know, that they've been knocking on this door, and they've got two elite players. Bar none. I mean, they matched up pretty darn well with this Clippers team. They weren't as deep, that's for sure. But some of those deaf players really stepped up for Denver, really. And, uh, you know, you might be looking at a team that can be four or five deep in terms of really athletic shooters going forward now for the next two to three years. So they're not going away either, that's for sure. I just think they were more comfortable right now. That's it. And they were geared more for game six and game seven because when it got down to crunch time, they knew exactly what they were doing, who they were, what their game was, how to adjust. And the Clippers just bailed on it. They weren't ready yet. Let's give it another year. I want to see this team back next year. I don't want to see Paul George traded to Philadelphia. Certainly not to the Knicks or a bad team. I want to see Paul George being a complimentary defensive-minded piece to a quiet ladder run offense. It's going to work. Maybe they won't win it all, but it's going to work on paper, and it's going to work over a long, non-segregated season. That's what we need, right? We need a little more rhythm for this team to get together and get more comfortable. Before we bring in Jordan, we are sponsored today by Hit Parade. If you ever wanted to take a shot at getting a $12,000 Michael Jordan rookie card, how about an autographed Kawhi Leonard piece of memorabilia, or even a Tom Brady Tampa Bay helmet for a fraction of the price? Hit Parade is the premier authentic autographed sports memorabilia mystery box manufacturer in the country. I follow them on Instagram, of course, as as you've heard me say. Somebody opened up a Hank Aaron 1956 trading card the other day. What are we doing? you got to follow these guys. Take a shot at getting an autographed item from the biggest names in sports, currently and past, clearly. Get your box today at Hit Parade's exclusive online provider, dacardworld.com. That's dacardworld.com. No one has more hits than Hit Parade. Thrilled to be joined on the Hit Parade hotline by the Athletics Los Angeles Rams coverage, right? Is that what you're doing now, Jordan? Los Angeles Rams? You're out of Carolina, right? Jordan Rodriguez. Thanks for joining us, Jordan. Yeah, you know, thanks, Mike, for having me. It feels like I've moved around so much in the last couple. It doesn't even feel real yet that I'm in California. But yeah, I'm happy to be over here covering the Rams. And and as you know, they've made some uh, pretty fascinating moves here this offseason. Yeah, first of all, you're, you're out west. How is it going? How is the COVID situation? How is this wildfire situation? How are you? Um, I personally am good. I'm safe and healthy. Uh, knock on wood for me, please, guys. Um, but, but right now, um, you know, it's I, I'm I'm speaking for myself, but unfortunately, can't speak for so many others who are afraid and and sort of in more of a dangerous situation than I I personally am right now. Um, you know, it's pretty smoky out here uh, where I currently am. The marine layer is sort of trapping a bunch of smoke. So it's like this weird, eerie um, fog that's happening. But um, up in Thousand Oaks where the Rams practice, it is pretty smoky. Obviously, the further north you get up the coastline, um, it gets really, really hazardous in terms of air quality. So, um, you know, I know the first responders and firefighters are working hard up there. So just really hoping that everything gets contained and people are safe. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, just gut feeling. Do you think we're going to lose any sports games this weekend because of it? You know, I was really surprised that they didn't move the 49ers Cardinals game. You know, down in L.A., they were monitoring the AQI, the air quality index. 
And the Rams were really on top of it in terms of you can't go over sustained levels of 200. And they were well below that for most of the time um, and have been. So for that one, I wasn't as as concerned it would be delayed or anything like that. But in terms of um, the, the games up in the Bay um, and, and even up, you know, even if, if things are moving up into Seattle, et cetera, et cetera, you know, that's really scary. And, and so I wouldn't be surprised if they did delay things. The problem is they're already playing in a pandemic. So it's like, okay, you're playing football in a pandemic. Like what, what more can you possibly do to force this NFL season to move along on schedule? You know? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think it's probably going to be, you know, full speed ahead as much as possible. Unfortunately, it's going to be the detriment of the players, but all right, let's get into the nitty gritty. You did some great work here. Uh, and you have since you've gotten there on this Rams coverage, really, uh, I mean, it's kind of been contract heaven right, for the past three years, uh, although, you know, some might not say that about Jared Goff's situation currently, but you, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll leave that alone. I've, I've banged that drum enough. Uh, you basically spoke with Les Need, the GM out there and kind of gauged his process, how it works from pre-draft kind of straight through. Here's my first question for you. How, how do you interpret the Rams front office right now in terms of the decisions they'd made versus where they think they have to go. What, who, who are the Rams right now, according to the Rams? I think, Ooh, that's a good question, Mike. I think the Rams are reloading their core in a way they have put roots down now with this brand new building. SoFi stadium, this $5 billion project. And it's sort of like, this home space now that roots them and grounds them here and, and really puts a fire underneath them to make some of these long-term decisions that you're now seeing happen within their contracts and things like that. So establishing their core, you know, I, I, I know every year teams want to compete. They want to contend so far. The Rams look pretty good for missing, you know, the entire spring, but in terms of the big picture, if they if they aren't contenders this year, the very, very least that they will accomplish and achieve is locking down several core pieces for what they want to be a, an era of sustained winning when they're in SoFi Stadium. So that, that core consists of obviously Jared Goff and Aaron Donald, um, now Jalen Ramsey. Cooper Cup and and likely moving forward, even Robert Woods. And I know we were not expecting that to be a possibility. I know when we talked, you, you were on our 11 personnel podcast and you were fantastic. And we talked about how Robert Woods might be the odd man out, but that might not be the case anymore. And so all of these things are, are very much going toward what their identity not necessarily is right now, but wants to be moving forward. And then a front office perspective, this is very much a team that, has understood the pitfalls and sort of the the financial devastation that comes with betting the wrong way on the wrong contracts, right? So now um, they're sort of backtracking and sort of trying to offload those mistakes. And obviously they've got some dead money to account for here from Todd Gurley and Brandon Cooks. But after they're in the clear, you really get a sense that they're going to keep that core established and that core financial um, hit established and then lean on GM Les Snead to really, really draft well in the middle rounds where they often have um, the bulk of their picks. Okay, that's well said. Here we go. Here's here's the million dollar question I have to ask you <laughs> because you mentioned the stadium and it's a huge part of this and it's it would be insulting to say otherwise, right? I mean, it's a $5 billion investment and so much has to go into this to make it work. One of which, one of which is the team has to win. 
what has forced Les Snead's hand more? Is it that situation or is it Jared Goff's contract? You understand what I'm saying? Once you sign that Jared Goff contract, you really can't go backwards. You, you can't rip it all up and rebuild. Now, they've done some of it, like you said, with Gurley and Cooks, but you can't rip that Band-Aid right off because of how much you have invested in Jared Goff. So is, is that forcing the issue more than the stadium situation or do you think it's a combination of both? Yeah, I think it's both. I think that obviously when you commit to a quarterback like that, you have you you take on the understanding that you are now going to have to operate essentially with one hand tied behind your back in terms of what you're doing with contracts. Right. And so sometimes that means that you won't be able to attract, um, you know, high dollar free agents. I think that becomes a concern when Andrew Whitworth finally hangs it up and they're searching for another left tackle. Um, you know, these, these sorts of things, I think that's, that's super important, not just with Jared Goff's contract, but also with Aaron Donald's and now with Jalen Ramsey's and now, you know, Cooper Cups isn't too much of a hit, but now with that one, everything adds up. Right. And so, that's, that's sort of you, you kind of saw a little bit of that direction when they did extend Jared Goff and then they sort of offloaded Tom Gurley and Brandon Cooks who just weren't working out for them. And now they're trying to sort of um, spackle over yeah. <laughs> spackle over their um, their mistakes in that regard and then you know move forward into sort of this new model. It's not new in the league, but new you know newer for them where yes they have this massive sort of anchor of these big contracts. Yes, they still need to be competitive. So now what you need to do is you need to draft really well. And those draft picks need to start for you like almost immediately and then produce before you have to pay them. Yeah. You mentioned the draft a few times here. You're right. It's going to have to be, you know, a, a phenomenal second round pick. And then you've really got to hit gold with your third and fourth round picks, which we've seen a lot of these really great contending teams do over the past couple of years. And generally speaking, those have, those have turned into the skill position rounds. I mean, your, your third and fourth round picks have become your second wide receiver and your first running back. So it, it, to me, it's, it's less, it's less important that they had to get rid of Todd Gurley because I think you can use one of those mid round picks as they have over the past two seasons to replace that. But you mentioned Robert Woods, and we talked. You mentioned we talked about that before. To me, Jordan, it's still a mistake to pay him. I love the guy. I'm sitting here in Buffalo, where I saw him grow up and become the player he he was, and, and I know what he's worth. And I can tell you right now, he's probably worth about thirteen, fourteen million, even right now as like a third option on that team in in Los Angeles. But isn't that a spot you can you can fill with a third round pick this this coming draft? Uh, to me, it would make a mistake to add a seventh. $10 million or more average salary player to this roster. I just, you know, how far down the rabbit hole is too far for less need. Yeah. And, you know, and also I, I do, I, I did want to point out too, that, um, you know, I have, and I could be, you know, n- incorrect in this, you know, when all, when all said and said, but I don't actually get the impression that less need is, is working a ton, uh, you know, as the main guy on these contracts, I think a lot of the, the responsibilities have kind of shifted um, to Tony Pastors in the, in the front office, and he kind of operates behind the behind the scenes. So I think that's an interesting dynamic because Les is very much like the the personnel, talent, acquisition, and development kind of guy. And that's the impression I get. And I could be wrong about that, but that's definitely the impression I have. But, you know, it's interesting because um, – <laughs> They, it's just, they really, they really, really love the guy. And I, I do think that he could very well try to test the market at, you know, and I agree with you. I think he 13 or 14 million a year, especially with his resume, especially with him, 
you know, coming out of the gate so fired up and, and, you know, having the game that he had and then very much establishing that he intends to be on pace for another thousand yard season, which would be his third in a row. We want to try to lock that guy down if you have the money, but in, in case they don't, it looks really, really bad if you're, guy who is the USC superstar <laughs> who has it's kind of been like the 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 successful marriage of he finally came home to you and then he started really performing and he loves it there so much and he wants to be there it's it's really bad optics if you can't get a deal done with that guy even if it's you know through 2023 Cooper Cup is also extended and keeping that core kind of together through the 2023-2024 seasons it's just bad optics if that guy holds out, right? And, you know, they you really want to try to get – if you're going to extend him, you have to commit to it. You have to understand what the financial hit would be. You have to absolutely commit 100% to it because otherwise you're lo- probably looking at a holdout situation and that would really not be great optics, especially from the, the hometown guy like that. Yeah, there's a lot of great points. You're right. The narrative kind of tells itself there in terms of, you know, you know, that relationship and how it did come together. So it would be tough to part with him. Also, he's a heck of a player, as you mentioned. So, right. uh, you know, the problem is if he leaves, he's probably going right, <laughs> right across town to San Francisco where they could use three wide receivers right now. But um, it's very interesting. The, the, the three-year dynamic of the Rams has been something we can't stop talking about, to be honest, because you're right teams that make the mistakes that they made and, and obviously the girly situation wasn't necessarily their fault. Although I could argue the contract structure part of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, you don't see teams that were good, Super Bowl good, go through those kind of contract hitches and then immediately bounce right back, which appears that, I you know it's been one week, but they had a halfway decent last season. You know, it certainly didn't get to the postseason like many thought they could. But they, they didn't fall right off the tracks is what I'm saying. So it, it's been admirable to see what Lestine has been able to do. And I want to I hit the point you, you brought up, which is the piece on The Athletic that you wrote is basically talking about how there's separation in that front office, how Lesney basically evaluates the talent, finds players he likes, and really doesn't even bring that up to other people. He kind of has his, in his own <laughs> brain... Uh, the, a situation working where he, he has a system in place. He knows the players that fit that system. And then at some point that gets translated over to the contract people and they basically just are told, make it work, right? Make the cap work. Is that basically what I'm interpreting here? Um, you know, I'm, I'm not so sure about that. I think that what, what it more so is, is the piece more so is like when they, when they have to make these draft decisions that um, he knows is now so crucial. It's kind of the, the role and the space that they have found themselves in, as I, as I kind of mentioned before, it's like, you, you don't, this is, this is where you're at now. This is what you have to do. This is a necessity to, to hit well on all of these picks. And so what I found really interesting was less during his scouting process and the pre-draft process, he does have picks or excuse me, prospects that he, he really, really likes, but he doesn't tell his staff hmm. who he's leaning toward because he doesn't want, subconscious biases to start to introduce themselves themselves into the scouting process. And so he's all about right now and over the last couple of years, especially has ramped up his studies of, you know, the psychology of decision-making and and how you need to remove all of your subconscious and conscious biases and how you can um, sort of as a leader introduce a dynamic of functional conflict within a room where people are okay disagreeing with each other and people are okay 
in, um, in feeling comfortable and heard to bring up their points about certain players, because maybe they have a whole set of data that they were too afraid or, you know, had sort of the, I'm not important enough, so I can't share this mentality. Um, and, and had a whole set of data that changes so many things about prospects that they may or may not like. So when they have to hit so well on the draft, um, moving forward the next several years with all of these contracts, um, making not only the most efficient decision for their roster, but also sustaining that successful decision-making over the course of year over year and and understanding what the big picture of that decision is, um, has been something that he really has thrown himself into um, in terms of the studies in that regard. And so, you know, I, I'm, I'm still too new to know exactly, you know, who's in the room when the contracts get worked. But for, to me, um, my impression is that Les Snead is, does a lot of work of personnel evaluation and draft and things like that. Um, and, and then the money stuff happens. Um, Tony Pastores, I think, is someone the Rams are really wanting to hold on to for a long time because um, he's done some He's done some money magic, it seems, over the last, especially over the last couple of weeks. He sure has. And uh, let's get there. Let's finish on Jalen Ramsey because this is a, a contract not uh, not like many other cornerback contracts we've seen. That's for sure. Did it blow you out of the water, or was it exactly what you were thinking based on how, you know what that trade compensation was, what you've been reading elsewhere, things like that? Yeah, I thought he was going to be right at around 20 and he's about at 20 per year when you kind of look at how the numbers shake down. Um, the thing that I really thought was interesting that I, I appreciated just from a financial standpoint is when they when they gave him the contract, they actually structured it in a way that freed up seven and a half million dollars of their current cap, which meant that they could also lock in Cooper Cup. So that I thought was very clever. And, um, you know, I know that it might seem in hindsight like the obvious move to make, but sometimes when you're looking at this massive amount of money that the corner is going to get, um, you sort of forget, oh, you can, when you restructure guys, and this I think will be important when it comes time to talk with Robert Woods about these things, which is happening this week, you, you know, you, you look at these numbers and you're like, oh, yeah, it could actually be beneficial in the short term to restructure and extend in the long term because, you know, I can get X, Y, and Z done with the space that I've given, you know, myself. And then, of course, you have to deal with it on the back end, as you know, better than better than most, Mike. But yeah. <laughs> um, but it's it's just interesting the way that they structured that to me. That was That was the surprise to me. But in terms of the amount per year and the bonuses, the guarantees were right on what we thought they would be. That um, Just fantastic. Um, number for Jalen and obviously you know now the pressure's on Um, he's got to he's got to sustain and um, I believe he will but um, you know we'll we'll see what happens moving forward you're right and just to kind of tie into that structure and I wrote a quick piece on on spot track about it as well that second year is built in for a restructure as well in Jalen Ramsey it's sitting at 22 and a half million in terms of cap hit right now but they're going to restructure that for sure and they can drop it all the way down to almost nine million in 2021, which, you know, you've, you've written about how low that salary cap might go and, and what the Rams are invested in already. I think it's almost a given that they do this. So there's room there. <laughs> if we're talking about saving cap space for other players and Robert Woods is in that conversation, Jalen Ramsey's restructure would certainly allow for that. But you're right. They need a left tackle. And that's something that I think not enough people are talking about for the next three to four years of this Rams team. Because you're, every other piece sort of is in place at this point. They did, you know, relinquish a couple of good linebackers that they really haven't replaced. I would imagine that's where your second and third and fourth round picks are going to be addressed over the couple of years here. But 
other than that, you're right. It's sort of business as usual with this Rams team. If Brandon Cooks out, maybe wasn't that big of a subtraction as a lot of people were thinking on paper. You know, the Cooper Cup, Robert Woods situation, I think can work. And they've got a couple of nice tight ends as well. So much of this is about Jared Goff. And unfortunately, that's we're in a quarterback driven league. Jared Goff's tied there for at least three more years in terms of his dead cap structure. What's the sense out there? It, it, not not so much the player, but is the contract still a problem for Jared Goff and the Rams? You know, I don't know because, well, if if it is, uh, they're sure making it look like it's not. It's, right. You know what I mean? Like in terms of the guys that they're retaining. So even internally, if they're still struggling with it, um, they certainly are making it appear as if it's not an issue because of the things that they're that they're able to do. Um, you know, with some of the guys that they've been able to retain um, and extend. And so I think that's important, not just optically, but also for in terms of team building to be able to wiggle around such a bulky contract, I think is is so, so important. Um, you know, you get a sense. And, and I know we were talking about money, but with Jared, you do get a sense that he is back um, and, and has, you know, it's been one game, small sample size. But from what I saw on Sunday night, what I've been watching through camp, you do get a sense that he's improved, um, especially ironing out some of those um, inconsistency issues that we saw. So is he ready to take the next step forward is the real question here. Um, for now, I think best case scenario is maintain and be consistent and then hopefully start to incrementally move forward into great quarterback, not just, you know, good quarterback. So I think that's, that's the goal here. Um, and like I said, with the contract, if they can, keep guys like, you know, like they did, like Cooper Cup and Jalen Ramsey, Aaron Donald, if they can get something done with Robert Woods, I think you sort of are sh- are sending a sort of subliminal message, not just to the your fan base, but to the league where you're like, look what we're, you know, we're trying to get it done, even with this massive quarterback contract. And therefore you can't tell us it's a mistake or it was a mistake because we got all this other stuff done. So I think that's, I think that's kind of what we're looking at right now. You're right. Just be pot committed. Just be all in. That's what the saints have always yeah. done. It's the saints model. It really is. Let's just keep pushing it down the line because we like who we have at least an, uh, enough to push. And uh, in that regard, we should never have to rebuild. We can just keep, you know, changing things on the fly. It has worked for good teams before. We can see if we'll see if the Rams continue to do that as well. You can find her great work on The Athletic covering all the Rams really inside or now. Jordan, are you doing that new uh, live commentary as well? You want to explain that a little bit? Yeah, thanks for asking. Yeah. So we have this new real time um, platform on our app. So basically we have this space where we can add um, much more context than what you would usually see on Twitter when we're um, doing, you know, live coverage of something. And basically our, our mantra is like, don't leave anything on the cutting room floor. Right. So all the little details, even some of the behind the scenes of like how you get certain stories, um, behind the scenes, information, injuries, um, just different tidbits that you pick up through the week as a beat writer, you pick up so many things as a beat writer through the week that you just don't use usually in your stories. And so this is a space where you can really get all of the, the insider information. So fans, of the athletic subscribers of the athletic who have, um, you know, their latest app, uh, athletic app installed, and then also are uh, operating on iOS 12. Um, you and whatever the equivalent is on Android. <laughs> I don't know. Um, cause I'm not technologically smart, although I'm doing a good job of faking it. Um, you can, you can follow along in the real time tab. It's down to bottom right of your screen. And I am so excited about that because I think, 
for me being a beat writer, you, I want to take people with me and really have them feel what it's like to be sort of 10 toes down with me. So, um, thanks for asking Mike. I appreciate you asking that. Yeah. It's so restricted on Twitter, isn't it? So it's good to kind of break out and have more long form and, and something real time as well. I think it's a great idea. It's a great piece. And also your 11 personnel podcast. When does that drop? Yeah. So they, another great question, man, this is, I need to pay you or something. This is great. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so we just had an episode out just covering the Cowboys game and then looking ahead a little bit to Philadelphia this weekend. We'll probably, if there's no big news this week, we'll probably have another one out um, next Monday night or Tuesday morning. We usually like to do recaps of the games and kind of dig a little deeper in analysis, and especially after Sean McVay sort of has his Monday morning quarterback session with us, like to bring added context into the sort of what just happened of it all. So um, you can look for us over at the Athletic Podcast. Um, and and I know we have a tab in Track as well, because I'm on Track yeah. like more than more than most websites. So I know we have a tab down the side as well. So you can find us there too. Jared Goff at Carson Wentz this weekend. Keep up with all the Rams coverage at Jordan Rodriguez on Twitter. Jordan, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for having me, Mike. Speaking of Jared Goff, every year we purchase some sort of memorabilia for our fantasy football league, one of the leagues I'm in at least two years ago. Jared Goff, autographed mini helmet. Nobody wanted it. <laughs> Not even the winner of the league. Could have used a good hip parade memorabilia box on that one, and I think that's going to be a staple going forward, by the way. Not a bad idea, right? You got a league, chip in some extra money, get yourself a hit prey box. It's, it's totally random, right? So whoever wins the league gets a box, they open it up. The gift could be a Tom Brady rookie card, you know, or it could be something a little bit less valuable, but it's going to be great, whatever it is. And I love the element of surprise. So I might actually change up my 14-year tradition here and join the hit parade. Visit dacardable.com. Get your mystery box today. Let's talk to Ross Tucker. Thrilled to have him back on the Hip Raid Hotline. Ross Tucker, at Ross Tucker NFL on Twitter, host of the Ross Tucker Football Podcast and the Ross Tucker Media of Podcasts. Ross, how you doing? Explain some of these podcasts to us, man. <laughs> Mike, I'm doing well. Always good to talk with you. Very busy time of year, as I know it is for you. Although, actually, you know what? Uh, I'm guessing is this not you as would be wrong, sir. for you because there's not as many contracts usually. Are you kidding me? I'm doing all the sports. This is the mecca. This is the worst period of sports business management in the history of the world. Every single sport is happening right now. So I have more transactions on a daily basis than I've ever had. And I'm loving every second of it. Oh, nice. All right. That's right. You got to track all that stuff. Um, yeah, man. So I got the Ross Tucker football podcast, which is every day, Monday through Friday. It's really just kind of like your 30 minutes of what the heck's going on in the NFL. What do I need to know about it from a former player's perspective? I have Monday. I recap the games, tell you what you need to know. Tuesday, power rankings, Wednesday, Andrew Brandt, Thursday, Greg Cosell. And then Friday, I give you my picks, even money podcasts. If you're into betting on the games, fantasy feast podcast, if you're into fantasy football and then the college draft podcast, which is kind of cool. We look at the biggest games in, in college football and talk about the top prospects in those games. So got a bunch of them, man. And Andrew Brandt does the business of sports podcast too. So there's a bunch. Yeah. He's the best. I love him. Uh, congrats on all the success to you, by the way, it's been rolling good for you for a few years now. 
And uh, oh, by the way, you're writing still. <laughs> so, so I pop onto The Athletic this morning and I see a Ross Tucker special. Of course, it's about offensive linemen and it is in-depth. It breaks down all 32 teams essentially and kind of basic, basically like tiers, right? You basically put tiers of offensive lines out there. Is that what you did? Yeah, um, I, I basically, to me, there's about five tiers. There's a couple of elite teams. There's above average. There's average, uh, below average. And then there's the, the O-lines that are really poor. Um, and so I just kind of rank them in the different categories. And everybody can kind of see where their team stacks up. Okay, so is this the first time you've done it kind of this formally? You know, I do it every year on the Fantasy Feast podcast where I rank the teams. This is the first time I sort of, I guess, I don't say verbalize it because on the <laughs> Fantasy Feast podcast, I, I verbalize it. It's the first time I, I kind of wrote it down so people that don't listen to that show could go ahead and see where I, where I have their team stack up and why. Okay, so you know this answer then because I look at the bottom of this article um, and I'm not surprised one bit. Are the Seattle Seahawks and Los Angeles Chargers almost always on the bottom of this list? You know, um, they have been. Uh, and it's interesting to see some of the teams move up a little bit like the Texans did and the Bengals clearly have earned the worst spot again. Yeah. Um, but in terms of the Chargers and the Seahawks, it's almost weird, Mike, because you almost don't realize that the Seahawks are that bad up front because Russell Wilson has like covered up so many things over the years. Now, obviously they got off to a pretty good start on Sunday against Atlanta, but that's a lot of that had to do with Atlanta's secondary being really, really bad. But I do think it's encouraging. They move some guys around. You know, I thought they had some guys playing in Seattle the last couple of years that probably didn't deserve to. And now they got some good guys in good spots. So maybe they will be improved this year. The Chargers, you know, they've just had a struggle there. Um, and they still have injuries. Even though they brought in Trey Turner and Brian Balaga, you know, they still have injuries. And Mike Pouncey's out, so they got to move Feeney to center and Forrest Lamps at left guard. And they still have issues at left tackle. It's kind of like perennial issues for the Chargers. Yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, two of these teams that you mentioned, the Bengals and the Chargers, they, they've got brand-new quarterbacks, so that's terrifying, right? Because anytime you bring in a, a high-drafted quarterback and you don't have an offensive line that's up to snuff, that's a recipe for a disaster, as we've seen with a bunch of these teams in the past. But Seattle's so interesting because I, I, I speak to this every single year. I mean, it's, it's generally one of the analytically-graded worst offensive lines. You can see it with, your, with the eye test. Uh, it, does Pete Carroll just flat-out feel it's not that important financially speaking from a free agents, you know, or a high draft pick stock. Does he just think, okay, I've got a guy who can, who can supersede a, a bad off offensive line and a defense. If, if I invest in my defense, we can make some of those mistakes go away. Is that really just what it is? Well, this, the weird thing is they have at times invested in the offensive line. The problem is those picks haven't gone that well. I mean, they, they drafted Jermaine Effetti in the first round, yeah. and it really backfired for them. He did not play very well so far. Ethan Pochich, and you know, we'll see how he does at center, but he hasn't shown to be worth the second round pick. You know, they invested a lot to get Dwayne Brown there at left tackle. He's been like their one consistent guy so far. 
Yeah, I guess you're right. You're right. And, and it, that's recent, too. So maybe it's something that they decided they're finally going to get after here. So who's got the best? Which team, just from, a, I guess, an eye test standpoint, who's got the best five front five out there right now? You know, I think I'd have to go with the Colts. Yeah. And it's funny. I know they lost the game, but they had 450 yards of offense. They didn't punt once. So I don't think it was mainly – I don't think it was really – the offense is offline's fault. And really it was CJ Henderson, the rookie corner for Jacksonville who made a bunch of plays, which really helped. But the Colts have talent along with the same five guys back for the third year in a row. And I think this year it's always important. I think this year more than any other year, that continuity and chemistry really matters. Yeah. There's no question. And Quentin Nelson was definitely banged up. He's not hundred percent, not even close when that's right. There, there's no question. I mean, I drafted Jonathan Taylor in a lot of fantasy leagues this year because I, I envision him and his skill set behind that offensive line working out very, very well, especially later in well, the year. Well, you're going to win a bunch. You're going to win a bunch <laughs> of leagues then because um, you know Jonathan Taylor is going to be able to do some big things now that Marlon Max hurt for the year. I mean, Jonathan Taylor is going to be the guy. Yeah, I, I think it's a good pick for sure, especially long term and like in the dynasty leagues here. So what else? What else stood out? I mean, of the contending teams, where's where is there an offensive line that's going to hold a team back from maybe going deeper in the postseason than they than they'd want to? Uh, you know, that's always a good question um, because usually if you're kind of in the middle, right, you're okay. It's if you're below average that you have issues. So I, you know, they did pretty good on Sunday night, still skeptical of the Rams. Um, You know, they were able to get a win, but I I still think the bears offensive line leaves a lot to be desired. And I don't know. I mean, Arizona's offensive line isn't great. I'm not sure it matters. I mean, they can't even touch Kyler Murray the way he runs around. So maybe it doesn't matter that, that their offensive line's below average. Yeah, that's a crazy fun team and really something that could model after Seattle here, right? I mean, it, they can just kind of plug and play and let the offense do its thing because they're so schematic. It's great. Um, how about a situation where, boy, I don't know. Is the left tackle as important now as it was, say, 10 years ago, Ross? Because, I mean, when you were playing, that was obviously the dominant position, the blind side for most of these right-handed quarterbacks. I've heard more and more, and maybe it's just because there's more data out there, there's more people speaking to analytics and things like that, but I've heard more and more about a shift towards the interior of the offensive line, especially the guards uh, and certainly the center, but that's always been of importance. Where are we right now with football? Is is it because we're such a pass-heavy system that the interior line is now even more important because of the quickness of the quarterback release? Yeah, I think that's it. I think quarterbacks have gotten so good at stepping up in the pocket and getting rid of the ball quickly that a really good quarterback, a really smart quarterback can mitigate a lot of the stuff that edge rushers can do. I mean, as long as your tackle doesn't get beat inside and doesn't get run over, they can mitigate that quite a bit and get you in a position where they're able to step up, get rid of the ball quickly. So that's why everybody's looking for interior pressure these days, whether it's a stud D tackle like an Aaron Donald, or whether it's something where you're able to get pressure up the middle with a blitz. Those are the things that they're looking for these days is the ability to get pressure up the middle. So I I think left tackle is still important. Don't get me wrong, but I don't see it as any more important than right tackle now because it's really about who you're trying to block. And some of these guys, they're trying to block 
there's probably just as many good edge rushers off the right side as there are the left side. And I know blind side's nice to maybe get a strip sack, but if you're, if you're in the quarterback's line of sight, if you're coming from his vision, I think you can actually affect him more often than if you come from the blind side. Right. Without even getting there. Right. You're just disruptive. And look, I'm obviously speaking to the financials of this as well. We did see the right tackle position take a huge step forward with Lane Johnson and Trent Brown in the past couple of years. Uh, you know, and we've got two guards now on franchise tags that are up there in left tackle money in terms of the one year deal. So in your opinion, is this thing all going to come forward? I mean, obviously Laramie Tunzel reset this entire offensive line market at 22 million, but do you see the, these top flight guards who are going to need contracts next year coming up into the 18 million mark? Wow, man, <laughs> that, that it, it warms my heart, but it hurts too, Mike. I mean, just give you one year, right? Guy that made the minimum every year, except for one, I guess the one year I got the minimum signing bonus deal too, but, um, 18 million, even, even just 17 million to play O-line, to play guard. I mean, a million dollars a week or even 16 million to a million dollars a game. I mean, that is just incredible. I'm thrilled for those guys, but also really, really jealous. I'm not going to lie, Mike. I wish I had been a little bit better. That was a very personal answer. I appreciate that. Uh, I think we're going to get there to answer my own question. I, I do think that the conversation we're having is happening in front offices and certainly with agents right now that, you know, there's really not one of those linemen that's any that much more important than the next. I mean, if you're, if you're we're seeing right tackles being paid as left tackles, then what you're saying is absolutely correct. So agents are going to get on this. And if we've got free agent guards as some of the best free agents available on the list, the numbers are going to keep going up and up. So it's, it's a, it's a good time to be a stable, good, young offensive lineman. I do believe that. No question. I mean, it's always been a good time to be that, but I, I do think with every passing year, the, the offensive line is getting valued more and more yeah. to the point where they're realizing how critical and integral it is to success. I think it's the third most important position group. Some people say second. I mean, quarterbacks, obviously first, I still think D line is second, but you know, those guys rotate a lot as well. So I think you can make an argument for the offensive line being second most. Well, I agree with you. I actually think the trenches are pretty much equal and should be financially equal as well. I think the offensive lines have always lacked in terms of that because they affect the game as much as the defensive line does to to many degrees. But, you know, we've got defensive edge rushers now and Joey Bosa making 27 million a year. So once again, the offensive lines, you know, quite a bit back in terms of that. Let's go down that path a little bit because we just saw the cornerback market get reset. Obviously the wide receiver market just got crushed by DeAndre Hopkins deal. Um, uh, are, are, Can you explain that one to me, yeah, by the way? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, it's funny money. <laughs> I mean, you know, you're going to see the, you know, the fancy experts out there try to try to deflate what I'm about to say. But look at he had three years left on that contract. So this was not a real, you know, extension. Adding two two new years and, and you know, $54 million of new money is just a, a nice way of saying we've restructured your contract. <laughs> okay. I mean, that's all they've done is they threw him a $27 million bonus they essentially took the next two seasons of salary that he had, put it into a signing bonus, prorated that over five years to make it a nice six-year, uh, five-year full full contract here. He's not going to see more than three years of this. So he had three years to start. And in terms of the new guarantees, he still only has three years of guarantees remaining. So it's really just a restructure, Ross, that looks pretty on paper. So those last two years, 
he's never he's not going to see that fifty four and a half million. No, I I wouldn't imagine so. I mean, it's five years and ninety four million. Uh, my guess is he sees three for sixty, and uh, then he's thirty years old, and he's either redoing it because he's still just as good, or uh, he's restructuring and extending somewhere else again. So it's just it's one of those cap management situations that Arizona made look real good. I mean, the agent loves to push out twenty seven and a half million a year. You know that. Yeah, really. That's interesting. Yeah. So, I, I mean, that's a huge reset, though, in terms of the average salary. Uh, is anything wonky to you? I think you used that word. I'm going to use it back to you. Is anything wonky? Are any of these positional groupings being paid recklessly right now, in your opinion? Or is this basically where football should be right now, where we've got real big gaps between what we call you know, lower-tier positions versus the higher-paid ones? Well, I thought for a while that tight ends were really underpaid, and I still think they are. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, tight ends affect so many plays, pass game and run game. It's still weird to me. I mean, what's Kittle making now? Is it fifteen million or something yeah. like that? Yeah, fifteen. Yeah, I mean, I don't see how George Kittle uh, or Travis Kelsey, for that matter, makes that much less. I mean. Travis Kelsey still makes less than like Sammy Watkins or at least what Sammy Watkins deal was in Kansas. You gotta be kidding me. I mean, Sammy Watkins is like not even in the same stratosphere as Travis Kelsey in terms of importance of that chiefs team. You're right. And look at, uh, I had, I had Kittle at 17 million minimum minimum. I mean, he statistically was as good as Amari Cooper over the past two seasons, which is how I kind of put this together. So if Cooper's at 20 and Kittle's at 15 and Cooper's got two other wide receivers in that team who are probably as good as him right now. And George Kittle's got nothing around him in terms of a pass, pass catching game. Uh, I think Kittle went way too low. I really do. And, I, and I'll put that to my grave. Yeah. You know what? The thing is, is he was a late round pick. Yeah, you're right. And he's been banged up a little bit. He's got three years in when they give you that kind of offer up front. And that kind of, con- it's just really tough to not, you know, when you've made peanuts, it's really tough to not sign a piece of paper that uh, makes you and your kids all set for life. You know, I mean, I'm sure that they, you know, he might regret it in a couple of years, but for right now, it's just hard to turn that down because you, we all have stories. I mean, his teammate, Jared McKinnon yeah. didn't play for 966 days. Right. So He's seen it. He's seen. I mean, Jerry McKinnon hadn't even played since he'd been teammates with him. So he's seen what ha- can happen injury-wise. It's hard to, hard to turn that down. You're right. It's an undersold point. I mean, Austin Eckler took way less money than we thought he was worth because he was undrafted. Same conversation, right? Somebody throws $6 million at you a year, you do it. Um, that's got to change, though, because the ways that, that, that NFL players are becoming NFL players is changing. It's, uh, it's not as, as clear-cut as draft somebody in the first two rounds and those are the guys who stick. We're seeing so, such a variety on these rosters, and maybe less this year because of the pandemic, but you know, on an annual basis, you're seeing t- you know, 15 to 20% be low-round or undrafted players. So I, I hope that there's some sort of increase in terms of how that thinking, thinking comes out because Kittle is it's a mistake to, to the rest of the league that he's a fifth-round pick. Right? I mean, the fact that he's worked out this well is not his fault, so... That's a that's a really good loophole that you've you've uncovered here. What else, man? How are you doing? By the way, that's a question I should have started with. How's it going out there in uh, in Ross Tucker world? Good, man. Just busy, you know. I mean, uh, Saturday last Saturday I did the Army game against ULM nice. on CBS Television, and then Monday night I was in the booth with Ian Eagle for Steelers Giants, and that was uh, really interesting because. 
There's nobody in the parking lot. And then, you know, you're just not used to that NFL stadium, nobody in the parking lot. Then I get out there and I'm um, in the, in the booth, nobody in the stands. I mean, it felt like Ian and I had our own private showing of like (laughs) a new hit movie that nobody else got to see. It was bizarre. Awesome. I'm happy for you. Listen, I picked the Steelers to go to the Super Bowl. You saw them live and in color. Am I a crazy person? No, I don't think they will, but I don't think you're a crazy person. I think if anybody has a chance to crash the Chiefs Ravens AFC championship game party, it's the Steelers. And I still don't think I talk about this on the even money betting podcast. I still don't think the Steelers are getting enough love as it relates to some of these futures markets and betting markets. I still think they get a really good chance to go ahead and uh, get to the Super Bowl. I love it. He's at Ross Tucker NFL on Twitter. You can obviously listen to him every single day on the podcast network. Ross, thanks for joining the show, man. Appreciate you. My pleasure, Mike. Keep up the great work. I even clicked on your site today to look at some Allen Robinson info. While I was talking to Andrew Brandt on the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, I clicked on your site to see what Allen Robinson's contract really was. So you are the Bible. You are my reference. Really appreciate it. Appreciate it, man. Be good. All right. My thanks to Ross Tucker. Always good to have him on the show. We'll get him back soon, of course. Jordan Rodriguez, great guest. I love doing her show. We're going to definitely have her back as the Rams season progresses a little bit more and maybe a couple of contracts coming as well. Robert Woods, maybe a couple of defensive players as well. They don't, they're not done. Les Snead is not done out in Los Angeles here. My thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash track for 40% off your first year subscription. Check out the live commentary. Really neat little feature they've added to this app. And, of course, Hit Parade. Get yourself a mystery memorabilia box for your fantasy football season for just home for a gift. It's Christmas season, 100 days until Christmas. Get on it. DACardworld.com. My name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spy Trade Podcast.